girls are complicated. Episode 39 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Victoria Reynolds Farmer, and with me today I have regular panelists Leah Henning and Sheila Woodruff. Hi, Leah and Sheila. Hello. So, as usual, before we get into uh, today's episode, let's introduce ourselves to any listeners that might be new to the program. Leah, you go first. All right, my name is Leah Henning. Um, I graduated last week, actually, with my master's in history from Loyola University, Chicago. Yay! Although, <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm very happy with that. Um, and I'm still in Chicago, although originally I am from Minnesota, where I grew up uh, in a predominantly conservative Christian family. Thanks, Leah. Sheila, how about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Sheila Woodruff, and I am currently a stay-at-home mom in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm here with my two kids, a wonderful husband. Um, My youngest, younger child is actually almost two. He turns two in like two weeks, which is blowing my mind right now. Um, Otherwise, I, you know, try to keep my brain somewhat sharpened by writing a bit and joining you lovely ladies on this podcast, which I thoroughly enjoy. Thank you for keeping me on. And uh, we are glad to have you. And I, too, cannot believe that your little one is is that old. That's crazy. Right? Like, I was pregnant, you know, uh, two years ago now. I understand, but it doesn't seem that far that long ago. (laughs) Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, And I am Victoria Reynolds Farmer. I live in Minnetonka, Minnesota, with my husband, Michael, of the Christian Humanist podcast. Uh, And I'm currently... Uh, about a third of the way through a uh, ACLS public fellowship at Public Radio International in Minneapolis. Uh, it's a fellowship that puts humanities PhDs to work in the public sector. Uh, I am loving it and learning a lot of stuff. And uh, that's pretty much me for right now. So today we're going to talk about something you've probably heard something about in the past few months uh, if you live on earth, breathe air, and talk to other humans, uh, which is the many award-nominated, award-winning, crowd-pleasing musical Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton is kind of an interesting proposition as a piece of pop culture uh, because it is a hip-hop musical that tells the life story of Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. Uh, if that sounds kind of strange to you, that's because uh, a lot of people thought it was kind of strange. Um, this musical kind of first briefly hopped onto the public consciousness 
um, because of its creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who also stars as Hamilton. Um, Miranda was originally famous for 2008 In the Heights. Uh, In the Heights got nominated for four Tony Awards. It's about um, first and second generation immigrants in Washington Heights in New York. Uh, And the first anybody ever heard of Hamilton was when Miranda was invited to perform a song from it at uh, the White House Poetry Jam. Uh, So he gets up there and says, um, this isn't the song that I uh, was invited to perform, but instead I'm working on a concept album about the life of someone I think embodies hip-hop, Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. So he says this, and everybody in the audience, including uh, President and First Lady Obama, laugh. And uh, I remember watching the White House Poetry Jam that year, and I laughed too, and I thought it was ridiculous. Um, The musical really works, though, and it works primarily because Miranda, his mind is like a steel trap. It's crazy. He pulls references from everywhere. Um... The musical is primarily based on the uh, Ron Chernow biography of Hamilton, most directly, uh, which unfortunately I have not read and cannot speak to. Uh, But it also pulls from the history of hip-hop, from the history of musical theater, uh, from recent political news and pop culture from the 20th and 21st centuries. Um, His lyrics are intricate, they're well-crafted, Um, I'm going to stop soon, so I just don't sound like the world's biggest Hamilton fangirl. Um, We're not going to summarize the entire show for you here, but uh, this is kind of the 30-second elevator pitch. So it tells a life story of Alexander Hamilton, as I said. Um, The play is almost entirely composed of actors of color. There's only one... uh, white character, King George III. Um, It's primarily told through hip-hop and rap genres, and uh, it's narrated primarily by Aaron Burr, who you probably know famously killed Hamilton in a duel. So colorblind casting, interesting genre, narrated by the ostensible villain. A lot of interesting stuff going on there. Um, So... Now that I can uh, try to wrap up what was probably a not brief enough summary, um, I want to talk a little bit about our experiences with the show. Uh, What drew you to it? Are you a fan? How do you feel about it? Sheila, you go first. Okay, well, I um, so I first heard about it on TV. Don't watch it often, but every once in a while the news is on. And I saw a clip of from something. I thought it was 60 Minutes, but I honestly don't remember now. And it showed Lynn manuel Miranda, and he was talking about the show with someone. And it sounded interesting. They played a couple of short clips. And I thought, well, yeah, that sounds good. I love musicals, so I thought this would be really fun to see at some point or, you know, listen to the cast album when it came out. Um, but I'm not a big hip-hop fan, so I was not so impressed with the idea of um, a rapping Alexander Hamilton and crew. Um, so it's taken me a long time to come to it, but when Victoria threw the show idea out there, I was I jumped right on board because it was a good excuse to listen. And ever since listening, I've been ridiculously enamored and have been <laughs> working through my critical frameworks because, yeah, fangirling for sure um, was my initial reaction. Um 
we also, so I, I was telling my husband about this when I told him what the show was going to be about. And he did the same incredulous, like, that sounds like the most ridiculous show I've ever heard of. And he's a begrudging um, theater attendee when I want to do these things and go see these kinds of shows. And so I told him about it. And then we were watching last week tonight. Um, and he came on at the end of one of the, um, wow, I totally forgot the host's the name of the host of the show. John Oliver. Thank you. Yes, John Oliver finished one of his um, his monologues and brought him brought Miranda on. And he did this amazing freestyle on um, Puerto Rico's debt crisis. Probably wasn't freestyle. Again, my hip hop knowledge is poor at best, um, but did a piece on Puerto Rico's debt crisis. And um, my husband was floored. I said, that's the Hamilton guy. He wrote Hamilton and he plays Hamilton. And so we spent the next hour searching YouTube for clips of Hamilton that, you know, we could piece together. Um, so that that's my experience so far with the show. And I'm glad that it's nominated for as many awards as it was. And I'm looking forward to hearing what y'all had to think about it. Thanks, Sheila. Leah, uh, as our resident historian, I'm really interested to hear what brought you to the show and what you think about it. Um, well, I was first introduced to this musical when several members of my cohort here at Loyola, who are very plugged into the theater community in New York, started getting excited about this new musical that was going to come out. Um, then, of course, the soundtrack aired on public radio and everyone went crazy for it. Uh, being surrounded by historians who are very much interested in early American history and racial history, I have kind of been forced to be aware of this musical from the very beginning. And um, the idea of conveying history to the public uh, being such a big hit definitely drew my attention and made me want to find out what all the commotion was about. So um, I really jumped at, jumped at the opportunity to do this episode as well, uh, to kind of give me that excuse to listen to the soundtrack and see what the commotion was about. Um, <laughs> personally, I am not that impressed by this musical. I think the concept uh, behind the um, you, you called it colorblind casting. I would agree with somebody else that we're going to talk about later that it's more uh, uh, race conscious casting. I thought that that was a very interesting concept. And I'm glad that we're moving to this place where theater is switching uh, the ethnicities that are in the minority in the casting. Um but the fact that this is still at a point where we have to talk about it being different is a little sad. Uh, but I will talk more later about some of the issues I have. That, that's a really interesting point you make um, about the race switching. Uh, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'm looking forward to, to hearing you elaborate on that more. Um, and it, it's good that we're not just all gonna fangirl for an hour it's good that uh yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be some variation there uh yeah so my my exposure to the show like I said I heard about it years ago before it was fully formed um and then it kind of left my mind um 
Leah mentioned the cast album dropping on public radio. Um, as someone who works in public radio now, I was in an environment that is very much talking about it a lot. Um, we, we have an internal uh, instant messaging uh, system at my work that has private rooms where you can discuss a bunch of different things. Uh, and, and there is a Hamilton-focused one for, uh, for employees of, of PRI. Uh, yes, by the way, to answer the question you did not uh, ask, it is in fact called The Room Where It Happens, because of course it is. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of part of my immersion in Hamilton. But what, um, what got me sort of really interested in, and kept me interested in the show is I'm just so impressed with Miranda's lyrics and, and the way that he um, manipulates words both on a poetic level and just sort of combining that with historical information that probably not a lot of people would digest um, if it were in a different form. Uh, as an example, I, I wanted to mention just the first couple of lines of the title song, uh, Alexander Hamilton. They're delivered by Aaron Burr, and the first uh, couple of lines, the first question is, How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar? And that first sentence, just like lights a fire under the English teacher in me. Like, the poetry and the assonance, and it drives it forward so much, and the rhythm, um, and so much information that you need to know about the rest of the show is packed in that first sentence. So uh, I, I was hooked in uh, literally from the first couple of dozen words. Yeah, and the next couple songs carry through some of the... I'm, I think that's where I am too, as I'm just in love with the the patterning of his his lyrics. Um, Aaron Burr, sir, is one of my favorite songs for all the ridiculous rhymes with sir, you know, things that he came up with, like, oh, you punched the bursar at Princeton. And um, it, it's, it's incredible when you get down to that, like, micro level, what he can do and um, beyond how it's performed, just the words themselves on the page are pretty fantastic. They are gorgeous, and it's definitely uh, one of the strongest selling points, I think, of the musical itself, um, that so much information and story is just carried on through these lines, and you want to listen to it. You want to catch every single word and syllable. Well, that uh, that seems like a really wonderful uh, pathway into discussing a couple of different songs in depth. Uh, so we're each going to, I think, talk about a song um, and, and kind of a character um, that stands out to us um, that we think is, is special or, or different. Leah, why don't you start? All right. Um, the song that I chose is titled burn uh here's a short clip i'm erasing myself from the narrative let future historians wonder how eliza reacted when you broke her heart you have torn it all apart i'm watching it 
So maybe you could tell from that clip uh, that this is a song sung by Eliza or Elizabeth Hamilton, Hamilton's wife. Uh, it's in the second act. Um, I chose this song because I find it to be a very beautiful song on one hand, again, with the words that um, Lin-Manuel ch chooses, it's just gorgeous. You want to hear every single thing that she says, and you're just hanging on every note. But at the same time, as a historian, I am uh, frustrated, very frustrated with some of the things that she says, particularly as a historian who deals with women and gender. Um, at the end, she's saying, I'm erasing myself from the narrative. Let future historians wonder how Eliza reacted when you broke her heart. Um, the fact that this song says that Eliza has erased herself from history by burning letters from between herself and Alexander is a fallacy. Um, so much work is done in the history field to piece together women's lives from sources outside of letters and diaries and these regular sources that everybody assumes are the only sources to putting together women's lives. Things like um, guidance books, cookbooks, uh, standard ways on how to guide a family, um, domestic guides. Uh, those are also ways that we try to piece together how these women lived and what they thought or saw in the world around them. Eliza is actually a pretty well-known historical figure, uh, even without knowing exactly what she thought of Alexander uh, in the, the moment that this song is trying to portray. Um, actually, a lot about Eliza is mentioned in a later song, um, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. Uh, Eliza starts singing about all these wonderful things that she goes on and does after Alexander dies. Uh, she starts an orphanage. She does all of these amazing things. She's not burning herself out of the narrative of history. She's not disappearing. Um, but a lot of other women have been. They, ha they are nameless, they are voiceless. Um, so when I listened to Eliza saying these things about her taking herself out of history, um, I saw it as a continuation of ignoring, one, the opportunity to find women's voices in history, and two, it's ignoring a lot of historians' hard work in this field that is growing. That's a that's a really interesting point, uh, Leah. The the things that I had heard Miranda say about the song um, is that he was just kind of trying to wink at the fact that um, that we don't have letters from. Uh, 
Eliza to Alexander and from Alexander to Eliza that we know they wrote. He was just trying to kind of wink at that and insert it into the narrative. But I, I really am interested in the points that you're making about kind of um, gendered historical genres, because um, I, I know that that what you're saying is true about um, letters and diaries and cookbooks all being kind of brought into ac acceptable history that, that weren't considered kind of capital H uh, history before. So that's a, that's a really interesting perspective uh, that I think brings something really valuable to this conversation. Um, and since you mentioned uh, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, um, and I know Sheila wanted to talk about that song. Let's uh, let's go ahead and do that, Sheila. Okay, I um, yeah, that was the first song that I picked when this was sent out as in the show notes because I just um, I was really enamored with Eliza's lyric. I put myself back in the narrative, is which is what she says in the the toward the beginning of her part of the song. Um, because at least in the show, and I have to defer to to you, Leah, as the historian, because I don't know my history as well as I should at this point. But, um, you know, the the act of burning letters, those letters was a very was, um, you know, showed a lot of agency on her part. Again, at least in the show, of saying I'm not going to be part of this. You want to publish your sordid love life in a pamphlet? Fine, but I'm not going to be part of this, and I'm not going to show everybody what a great person you are. And then at the end, she comes back and says, okay, well, maybe I will. And I'm going to do it this way by living out my life and achieving these things. Um, you know, just despite what happened, um, before. So I, I did like that flip in the narrative. And I think it was, um, Michael Schulman wrote about this in the New Yorker, at least online. Um, he wrote an article called the women of Hamilton and he, he kind of pointed out, and I saw a lot of other super fans pointed out later as well, um, that the show's title is just Hamilton, um, inferring maybe that it refers to Eliza too. And by stepping in and, um, she takes the narrative, the narration over from, from Burr at the very end, you know, kind of says, well, maybe, maybe just maybe the musical's about her too. That is so interesting. The thing about the title, um, yeah. I, I read that Schulman article, um, a, a while ago now that you mentioned it, I remember reading it. Um, all these articles are starting to run together in my head. Cause I, I went through this, like, I will read all the media coverage, yes. Hamilton binge. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I didn't remember that thing about the title until you mentioned it. And I know, um, I know that uh, who lives, who dies, who tells your story isn't the song you wanted to play a clip from. Um, I just, I knew you had things to say about that. And since Leah mentioned it, I wanted to go there quickly. But uh, tell us uh, the song you actually want to discuss at a deeper level. Sure. So when I found out that Leah was going to talk about Burn, um, I thought it might be a good idea to talk a little bit about the style of the show, which we've already said is um, predominantly hip hop. That's not all it is. There's a lot of R&B. There's some good old traditional Broadway showstoppers in there. Um, but I, I heard, like you, I read everything that I could read <laughs> that was coming out. And I watched a lot of interviews with Lin-Manuel Miranda because he's so captivating. <laughs> and um, on one of the many that I watched, I think it might have been the one with Mo Rocca, but I don't remember what for. Um, he said that he believes hip hop would have been the language of the revolution 
um, you know, had it been around in the 1700s. And that really, that really caught my attention. And um, I, I started thinking about you know, hip hop on Broadway and how it's been done. And I, this is not an exhaustive, it was not an exhaustive search. And I'm sure listeners like, please write in and tell us what, what I'm missing. Um, but like the couple lists that I found online, um, and I had to scroll through two Google, Google search pages before I got to anything but Hamilton. Um, the two big lists that I saw online included things like the witches rap from into the woods um, and the very opening number of the music man, I don't know if either of you are familiar with that one in particular, but I like laughed out loud. I yes. did a spit take. <laughs> there are a bunch of Broadway people who will argue until they are blue in the face that the music man invented hip hop. This is a thing that is real. You guys, this is crazy town. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, before going into this, I thought surely there have to be some really great examples of hip hop being utilized well on Broadway. And apart from, um, in the Heights, like I, I just wasn't finding a lot. So again, listeners, please let us know what we're missing. Um, and as somebody who doesn't explicitly enjoy hip hop as a genre, but is married to someone who does, this was a really interesting cross point for me. And so I picked the song Guns and Ships just as a representative of some crazy awesome talent and fantastic lyric, lyric writing. Um, so here's the clip from Guns and Ships. So he knows what to do in the trench and you know it to be fluent in French, I mean So you're gonna have to use them eventually What's he gonna do in the bench, I mean No one has more resilience or matches my practical, tactical brilliance You want to fight for your land back I need my right hand man back Get your right hand man back You know you gotta get your right hand man back I mean you gotta put some thought into the letter But the sooner the better to get your right hand man back Alexander Hamilton Troops are waiting in the field for you so in that, you heard um, the Marquis de Lafayette, who's played in the show right now by uh, David Diggs. He, uh, he sings this, this piece. Um, he's called America's fight Favorite Fighting Frenchman, which is pretty fantastic. And he just throws down these lyrics that um, you, you missed the first part um, before the clip started about how capable he is and how he went to to France for more funds and came back with more guns and ships. And so the balance shifts and he needs, um, you know, he needs his buddy to, to match his brilliance, which I think is really fantastic. Um, yeah, that's about all I got. I just really, really loved the, the lyrical quality of this, of, of this piece in particular. And Diggs' performance is fantastic. He also plays Thomas Jefferson a little bit later in the show. And the difference between him as Lafayette and him as Jefferson is pretty fantastic, musically speaking and stylistically speaking. He's um, Jefferson is a lot more jazzy and even in the rap battles isn't doesn't nearly have the, um, the speed and the flow that uh, Lafayette does. So that's what I got. That character doubling is super cool too, right? Because yes. because Jefferson isn't around in the first act because he's skipping the war to be a diplomat in France. So there's the French the French connection, except not that way, um, <laughs> in in the show. Um, and I sense you mentioned um, Lafayette's and Diggs's incredible uh, lyrical flow. Um, I, I also wanted to point out my favorite thing about Lafayette's character is 
Um, he raps a lot slower in the first act than he does in the second because he's a Frenchman learning English. So it's it's like a, a representation of the immigrant experience on a lyrical level. Um, and by That's the fantastic. and by the time you get to um, later in the show, he's like he's just spitting rhymes so incredibly fast. Yeah, it's fantastic. He's not the only character or the only actor that character doubles, right? Like Hercules, the actor who plays Hercules Mulligan also comes back as, I think it's James Madison in the second act. And so there's yeah. some, there are some interesting um, arrangements there that are pretty fun to follow. Yeah, there are so many things about this show that make me wish I were still teaching. Like, I just feel like I would use it in all my classes. I would use it in composition to teach poetry. I would use it um, in intro to theater to talk about why character doubling is smart. Like, I would just, my students would be so sick of Hamilton if I were still teaching. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so uh, I guess it's my turn to talk about a song real quick. Um, I am going to... Uh, play for you my first favorite clip from my first favorite Hamilton song. Uh, it is a clip from the Schuyler sisters, uh, early in Act One, that introduces the three Schuyler sisters: um, Eliza, who we've already mentioned, and Angelica and Peggy. And uh, Angelica is far and away my favorite character in this play. Um, she is fascinating. She's really smart. Um, She is an incredibly astute reader of people. Um, I waffled back and forth between playing the Schuyler sisters and playing um, her best rap in Satisfied, but I couldn't pick a short enough clip. Um, She, like Lafayette, also raps incredibly quickly, but in Satisfied, she um, meets Alexander for the first time and falls in love with him, but decides um, not to be with him and to kind of put her sister in his path instead because Uh, She, Angelica, is the eldest sister and has to marry up, and Hamilton is poor. So she has this knowledge of her social position. Um, She's a really complex figure of femininity. She's sacrificing her happiness for her sisters. Just really interesting gender commentary um, there. Uh, And she... I think is is the first person in the play to refer directly to issues of gender equality uh, in this clip that uh, that I want to play. She talks about reading other revolutionaries and uh, and calls out gender equality. Here's a clip from the Schuyler sisters. I've been reading Common Sense by Thomas Paine. So many say that I'm intense around insane. You want a revolution? I want a revelation. So listen to my declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And when I meet Thomas Jefferson, oh. I'm a compel him to include women in the sequel. Work! So that should give you an idea uh, of how kind of fast and smart Angelica is. Uh, and I, I just think it's a, a really fun, uh, fast-paced clip. So now that we've discussed uh, some songs in depth, uh, let's transition to uh, a couple of articles about the show. Sheila, tell us about the villain in your history. Sure. So this was written um, on a blog called Rachel by the Books, done by Rachel. And she theorizes in this piece that Hamilton has much in common with the play 
Um, she was focusing more on the movie, but the play movie Amadeus and the musical, again, focusing on the movie, um, Jesus Christ Superstar. All three shows have a villain as the narrator um, in the biopic of a brilliant leader. So in Hamilton, Aaron Burr is the narrator for the narrative villain for um, Alexander Hamilton. In Amadeus, Salieri plays the narrator for um, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And then in Jesus Christ Superstar, it's Judas who narrates a fair bit of um, this story about Jesus's life and death. So all these villain narrators directly or indirectly lead to the hero's demise, she points out, um, which is an interesting point and why they're the villain. And yet we come to empathize with these narrators as they tell the stories of their more talented counterparts. As Rachel says, the three narrators, quote, are all painted as men whose not inconsiderable talents and strong ambitions might have made them great, but for the fact that they found themselves up against the immeasurably greater geniuses and prophets of their time. Um, I That statement really resounded with me because personally, um, I certainly lean harder toward the, the villains here, empathize better with the villains here. Um, not being either a genius or a prophet of my time. Um, so my question for you ladies tonight is what do you think, um, what do you think about her statements? Is, G is Jesus Christ Superstar an apt comparison for Hamilton based on her thesis? And um, how does the article connect to Hamilton's use of religion? Um, I can start. I, I think that Jesus Christ Superstar is an apt comparison. Um, I mean, I, I know the first time I, I saw that show, um, I, I must have been 13 or 14, uh, and I remember having a conversation with, I don't remember if it was my mom or my dad, one of them, afterwards saying, like, I think that Judas is the most interesting person in this show, and I don't know how to feel about the, like, Jesus is kind of boring, and is it bad that I think that? Um, and I, I think we decided that no, it's not bad, but that was kind of my first taste of, of I guess, a, appropriation in a certain way, like seeing a different side of a story that I've known for a long time um, and, and kind of discovering, you know, the, the power of, of um, multiple stories in the development of empathy. And I think that um, while, while um, the blog post doesn't make an overt religious statement um, or an overt statement about religion. Um, I think that what Jesus Christ Superstar is doing religiously um, really does speak to a, a kind of a kind of Christian empathy, a kind of idea that um, people are going through things that you don't know and that you should make an effort to um, look at uh, look at someone's life through their own eyes or through different eyes that you can be sort of blocked out to the beauty and, and grace of humanity if you only um, if you only take one perspective. What, what do you think, Leah? I would agree. Uh, I would agree with you. Um, I didn't really think about that blog post from the religious perspective I that much, but um, I do think that Jesus Christ Superstar is a good comparison for that villain narrator role, definitely. Um, I 
ended up after listening to the Hamilton soundtrack, uh, really liking Burr um, so much so that I started researching him instead of Alexander <laughs> and w- was more interested in rounding out my perspective of Burr than I was of Hamilton. Um, I think that that kind of narrative form does allow you to think outside the box uh, because all of a sudden it's not the hero. Uh, It's somebody on the sidelines. You're getting their emotional response to things that are happening throughout the timeline or narrative, um, as well as getting that main story line that you would get normally through a musical. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know what to say more about this topic. I, I really liked the the blog post I thought it was a very interesting take I I think that your point about um perspectives changing is particularly relevant to Hamilton as a show too um because the show and Hamilton the character are so incredibly obsessed with uh the idea of legacy and and sort of words and deeds being left behind and and what people in the future think of you um so so Burr's perspective being present there, sort of elbowing at at Hamilton's um, grandiose visions of legacy, uh, I think really give the show a lot of emotional depth. Um, But Sheila, you you asked us about um, the show's view of religion, and I I don't think we've touched on that um, a lot. So I am going to throw your question back at you before I answer it um, and and ask uh, you what you think the show's view of religion is. Um, generally, it's it's kind of lacking, and given the, the amount of swears and things, I think it's kind of... Um, it, it, there's, there's a general lack. My The thing that stood out to me is what you've already said about legacy, and I was... I'm still trying to wrap my head around the concept of Christian existentialism, which I know your husband, Michael, talks about a fair bit on the Christian Humanist podcast. And every time he talks about it, I focus so hard because I really want to get what he's going at. And I wondered if that idea of legacy is kind of bound up here with that. Like you have to create part of, um, you know, you have to create that which is going to stand up um, beyond you. Apart from that, um, I was struck by the song, The World Was Wide Enough, which is the second to last song. It's the song when Hamilton and Burr actually have their famous duel. And um, right before he dies, Hamilton has this out-of-body out of experience where he watches the bullet being fired and he knows he's going to die, but he's imagined his, his death so many times. And, like, the beat drops out, the music drops out. It's just Miranda... Um, it's like spoken poetry, like uh, a poetry slam. Um, but he's talking about all these people he sees on the other side. You know, he names um, his friends from his youth that died in the war and Washington who has since passed on. Um, and that, that part kind of struck me as we were talking, as we were thinking about religion here, like there's, there's definitely nods to some sort of greater beyond and powers that be, but I don't know that they're really done in any sort of significant way, except for maybe that 
that part. Um, and from what I understand too, I haven't, I couldn't find a clip of it, but the blocking of the last song when Eliza singing, who lives, who dies, who tells your story as she's finishing it, like Hamilton kind of appears next to her and she gets this, she gets to like see the audience like, oh my gosh, I told the story. Here are all you people. It's um, like playing with the fourth wall and um, yes, seeing the greater beyond. It's actually very much like um, the way Seasons of Love happens in Rent okay. on, on the apron. Um, okay. and, and, you know, Angel, um, spoiler alert for a many decades <laughs> old show, guys. Um, 1995, an- right? Yes. Um, Angel dies and comes back for the final um song it's it's inspired by that um Miranda's a a big uh rent fan so that's that's one sort of echo um yes um yeah i agree with your comments that say like this is not a show that deals overtly with religious themes like i i don't think that it has um a lot to say on that topic but i was struck by a a kind of general period appropriate kind of Puritan inherited providentialism that that's kind of sprinkled through the play. Um, we we played the clip from Alexander Hamilton that mentions Providence getting him to his ultimate government position. Um, at one point, um, he is picked as Washington's um, aide and writer. And when that happens, he's uh, Hamilton is described as being seated at the right hand of the father. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit of, of providentialism there as well. Um, Hamilton himself is not described as being a particularly religious person in the play. Uh, by my count, he prays only twice um, in the show. Once when he's trying to resist having an affair with Mariah Reynolds... And uh, he does not, by the way, resist that affair. And later, um, when his son uh, is shot and dies, he uh, takes his family to church and and sort of searches for meaning there. So it doesn't seem that, like, religion is a constant presence in his life. It's just sort of there in crisis, um, which is is probably true for a lot of people, but I think not not the ideal. so that's pretty much all I have to say about the show's view of religion. Um, do you guys have anything else to add before we move on to the next article? Um, I appreciated that, like you you mentioned, uh, the histor- historical specific histor- history specific use of the providence that's sprinkled throughout, um, because that is language that is used actually frequently in a lot of the documents that these characters uh, wrote in real life. Um, There is a lot of providential language in our founding documents. Uh, That's very difficult to deny. Endowed Um, by their creator with certain inalienable rights, etc. Yeah. So I was glad that it was included um, in the language of these raps. Uh, because so throughout the musical, so often um, Alexander is called a fo- founding father, and this is language that we know that they used. Uh, I, I thought that you might uh, appreciate that, which is why I made sure to mention the Providence stuff. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so um, let's move on because I'm, I'm sure we have a lot to say about this second article. Um, Leah, since you're discussing it, I'll let you introduce it. All right. Um, so my article is a slate blog article um, that, it, if I can find the title, one moment. Uh, it's called a Hamilton Crit skeptic on why the show isn't as revolutionary as it seems. Um, a title which I very much approve of. <laughs> uh, I have to say that um, as I read this, it's an interview with historian Lyra Montero. Uh, I really agreed with what she had to say about the history behind Hamilton. Um, she wrote an article from the journal Public Historian titled Race Conscious Casting and the Erasure of Black Past in Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. And that article really did explode in the public and popular history department when it was published this February. Um, those friends that I mentioned earlier who were really big fans of the musical in autumn were suddenly reading this article and doing double takes on what they were thinking. Uh, in this Slate article, Montero summarized her main criticism as being that the decision to cast a nearly all-color cast to play historically white figures adds to the removal of Black voices from history itself. Uh, also, when given opportunities to address the historic issue of slavery with these figures, the plot and the characters simply skate over it without fully addressing it. I think slavery is only mentioned two times throughout the entire play, and then it's only mentioned in passing. And that further... In, in one of the cabinet battles, right? And in, yeah. what, and in what did I miss? That That's it, right? Yeah, it's just those two mentions. Um which further negates Black lives in history. Um, so while Montero does still enjoy the musical, she couldn't ignore that. And I completely agree with her, especially after listening to the soundtrack myself. Um, the choice to cast colored actors and use hip hop and rap styles, it is absolutely brilliant. Both Montero and I appreciate that but the lack of actual black Americans in the story, as well as skating over the fact that most of the founding fathers were slave owners, most notably George Washington's character. It's never mentioned that he's a slave owner. It's extremely dangerous. Um, this is what Montero labels as founders chic, which is a real thing in public history. It's the skipping over of the dirty or difficult historical facts we have about our founding fathers to make them as relatable to people today as possible. Um, the problem with that from a historical standpoint is that historians are trying to uncover forgotten voices by digging up those dirty or difficult facts and piece them together to make our knowledge more complete. And by ignoring them, we're ignoring a large part of our history, and we're also silencing a large number of people. Um, I obviously can go on ranting about this for quite a while, so I guess 
I would like to see what you ladies think. Do you see Founders Chic in this play as much as Montero and I do? I'll, I'll go first. Um, I really didn't want to. <laughs> like my, my heart ached when I read this because on the one hand, I thought, no, but it's, it's so great. And I think I'm like really clinging to the lyricism of the play. Um, but there's ob- obviously like absolutely no denying anything that Montero spoke about and that you've, you've brought up here. Um, whether they're missed opportunities or egregious erasion, like erasures, I, I don't know quite personally what to make of that. Um, some of the arguments I have in rebuttal skate around those as much as they're skated around in the play. So we can get into that if you want to. Um, like one of the first things that caught my attention when um, Jefferson comes back and sings, what did I miss? Which is his first, um, it's his first performance as Jefferson in the show. Um, he asks Sally, whom I'm assuming is supposed to be Sally Hemings, his um, most famous slave and um, a woman that he had many children with, um, but was also a slave. And um, I thought, well, boy, why didn't they color cast her from the clips that I've seen? She's um, another actor of color. She's not a white actress. And so I, I thought that. And then I started this like snowball thought progression of, well, what would you do if you if you included some of these slave narratives in the story or, or narratives of um, people of color, historical persons of color who were not included in Hamilton, you know, who would play them? Would it then be racially blind casting? Does it matter? Like I couldn't, I still don't know what I'm thinking about all of those things. Um, it just got like really complicated in my head. And so I'm wondering if it also got really complicated for Miranda or if he just didn't worry about it because he wasn't he wasn't so concerned about race in the show as it's played out with the characters as he is so much like as it's played out by the cast, like from the interviews I've seen with him and what I've read about what he's doing with the show as it continues and what he tells other people is the narrative of the show. It's really about um, revolution, whether that's the American revolution or whether it's about modern revolutions and, and, telling stories and making sure stories get told. And so it's ironic, I guess, that he did not tell stories of people of color in his show. And he's kind of alluding to those stories. Um, I've heard Black Lives Matter referenced and um, a couple others in different um, articles and whatnot I've read online. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm having a hard time balancing those two things, the erasure of the stories from his own show while pointing to those voices, which are generally erased in our like modern popular media culture. I'm i I'm with you, Sheila. I, first of all, your first point, like I really fought agreeing with this article. Cause I just, I like this show so much, right? <laughs> um, but the, the article is really right about a lot of things like ab- about who, gets to talk and who doesn't get to talk like my my first impression of of that line that you're referencing in in what did i miss um which interestingly is is kind of an extended music man reference which does suggest that jefferson is sort of you know slimy and and getting one over on us in an interesting way like uh oh i can't remember his name like the music man whose name I am forgetting. Sorry, Broadway. Professor Harold Hill. There you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> like Harold Hill. Um, the the line, um, he gets a letter from Washington and, and says, uh, 
Sally be a lamb, darling, won't you open it? Um, referring, as you said, to Sally Hemings. And and the first time I heard that song, I was like, ooh, like, burn. Yes. They talked about Sally Hemings. And then I listened to it a few more times, and I was like, wait, like, my bar is super low. <laughs> like, they, 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 yes. meant, they mentioned that Sally Hemings exists, and I'm, like, thinking that's progressive. That's probably a problem. Um, and, and also, uh, we have Hercules Mulligan, but we don't have Cato, right? Cato, um, the, uh, the slave who was a messenger for the revolution is, I think, never mentioned in the play. Is that right? I know. Not that I heard. Ever. I don't believe so. Uh, so yeah, that, that's really interesting, especially considering the kind of forcefulness of the casting that we're talking about. Um, and, and since we haven't mentioned it yet, I'll just quickly say, um, an, another thing that comes up in the article that I begrudgingly admit is correct is, um, there's a way in which the show isn't quite as gender progressive as it could be either. Um, even though it has a lot of really strong female characters that are great, um, and and that have a lot to say about the way we gender voices and history. Um, this show does not pass the Bechdel test. When two women talk to each other, they are always talking about uh, a man in some way, shape, or form, and usually that man is Alexander. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not saying we should throw this out. I still think it's a great show, but also it's it's good to be a little critical even of, of things that we love. Yes. Um, to tack, tack on to what you said about women's voices, um, that was probably the most frustrating for me as somebody who focuses on women and gender, um, especially with Eliza. She, she and Angelica get the most uh, female lines in this musical. Um, Angelica, as you mentioned before, she is so intelligent uh but it is always brought down back to alexander when eliza gets the last word in the last song it's all everything that she's done her entire life is to tell alexander's story it's no longer her own story it's to carry on alexander's legacy um, and the idea of legacy itself is a very dangerous concept within history as well, because here's the truth of it. None of us get to choose what our legacy is. It's whoever interprets it. So, um, every historian is constantly trying to be as objective as possible in how they're interpreting uh, what has happened in the past. So um, the idea that you get to choose what your own legacy is, is very, uh, I, I guess, uh, simple would be a, a nice way to describe it. Um, but it, it's not like the show actually lets Alexander do that, though, right? To its credit. Like, it, it complicates that idea. It does, thankfully. Um, well, and the whole show is based on the, the, the principle that very few of us actually know much about Alexander Hamilton, right? <laughs> like, here's the first 
Secretary of the Treasury and eh, he was shot by Aaron Burr is where most of us start the narrative. Um, and that was, I mean, that's part of why it was funny. That's what Victoria talked about at the very beginning of the show is what draws you in is here's this person who should be like a famous American because he was a founding father or whatever. Um, but he's not famous. And that, that I think you make a really good point, Leah, that we don't say what our legacy is going to be. And he doesn't get to say what his legacy is going to be. And what I think he want, would maybe have wanted everybody to know what his legacy was. You know, it's taken a Broadway show and, and um, arguably Chernow's book as well, which have you all seen that it has a stamp on it now? Like uh, inspiration behind the musical Hamilton. <laughs> I hadn't seen oh, that, no. but I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> but I, um, I'm, and I'm like getting into defensive mode. So I'm going to take a breath and like back down off that for a second. But um, I, I think that points out the, the interesting thing about history and studying history and being a, a historian um, is that like, it's not this monolithic view of what happened. Like history is always only the stories that are told. And that's, the whole point of the last song is that Eliza's getting to tell some of this. And like, she really did Elizabeth Hamilton work hard to get some of those um, things of Alexander Hamilton's known during her lifetime and like funded, um, worked on funding for the Washington monument and um, Chernell's book, I know points to has this little anecdote about how she like um, visitors would go to their home, you know, it was set up like a museum, but they'd see this little old lady there stopping in front of this bust. And like, she was just so enamored of him, even in her old age, that this was a very important part of, of, he was a very important part of her life, even though she outlived him by, by almost 50 years. So, um, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, Leah, and agree with it. It's also just an interesting reminder that it's not monolithic. And the point is like, let's go learn some stories and tell them. And I, I, can't, I haven't heard him say it yet, but I kind of feel like Miranda's got to be out there going, well, well, tell the story. You don't like what I did. Like, go tell your story then. Go go tell people what's missing. And I'm um, really glad that um, this article points that out. Okay, I think that's uh, probably a, a good comment to transition on. Uh, let's, uh, let's do recommendations. Sheila, you go first. Sheila's way too ranty. She's got to calm down. Okay. Um, so I actually had a couple here. My very first one is um, the song, The Skylar Sisters. If you go to YouTube, look up The Skylar Sisters Miscast. I know we'll have links in the show notes. Um, Miscast is done by the, is it the Metropolitan Company. Um, I'm missing, it's MCC. I'm missing one of the C's. But it's um, re, it's done regendered. So it's three boys singing as Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. And they're all what under twelve, maybe they're fantastic. Yeah, um, and Miscast is a fundraiser too. Yes. It's a it's a yearly fundraiser that Broadway musicals put on. Um, the idea is to showcase um, new talent, usually in in new or recent, if not brand new shows, kind of flipped in different ways, and people perform in shows that they're not in. Um, yeah, and these, these kids are just uh, incredible, and I'm going to stop talking now so I don't Shanghai your recommendation. <laughs> Thanks. No, it's perfect. I'm glad you did. Um, real qu- quickly, the other things are, while you're YouTubing, look up Lin-Manuel Miranda on Jimmy Fallon Freestyling. It's amazing, and you will love it. Yes, so good. Yeah. 
And then the last one is if you want to read more about, if you want to read more of his lyrics, um, all the whole book is now on genius.com, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, that's my recommendation. No, you're stealing mine. Okay. Well now I'm going to shut up and let you talk. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and go into my recommendation, even though I was supposed to be last. Uh, my recommendation is the Genius.com page for Hamilton. Uh, if you guys don't know uh, what Genius is, it is a place where um, people can annotate song lyrics. And you can talk about what words are referencing, and uh, then you can endorse, like upvote, uh, other people's um, annotations. And uh, Miranda has both endorsed fan annotations and written a bunch of his own annotations. Um, it is a rabbit hole that you can fall down for hours and hours because the references just pile on <laughs> yeah. top of each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I have uh, fallen down that rabbit hole a long way. It's amazing. So uh, the HamiltonGenius.com page. Leah, what do you have for us? Well, I'm recommending Lyra Montero's original article in Public History. Uh, it is available online, but we will have a link to it in the episode notes. Oh, one more thing. If you're also like super crazy fangirl right now, like I am, um, there's a BuzzFeed quiz you can take to see whether you're Thomas Jefferson or Lafayette, just saying. Have not seen this. Totally taking it as soon as we stop recording this episode. <laughs> and also, we should You're post welcome. our results to the CFP Facebook page. Listeners, I'm... tell us whether you are Jefferson or Lafayette, too. Thomas Jefferson, y'all. I'm sad. <laughs> okay. I think we're getting uh, punchy and should wrap this up now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or a reading recommendation for a future show, or if you just want to drop us a line and say hi, you can do that at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page and check out the show notes from this and other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog, christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Podcast Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison, and Amber Lee Copeland is our intern. For Leah Henning and Sheila Woodruff, I'm Victoria Reynolds-Farmer. Tune in in about a month when we'll discuss prestige television and specifically Breaking Bad. Until then, in Essentials Unity, in Non-Essentials Liberty, and in all things love.